Again, if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at Exodus chapter 6, and I'm going to ask you, if you will, to bow with me in prayer as we begin. Father, thank you so much for your kindness to us today and allowing us this privilege to be together. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness, a faithfulness that we can celebrate even as we look at how throughout the years you have uh, had a living witness and testimony, just as we talked about with First Baptist Charleston, but also here at Taylor's and all the churches around us, Father, that are still proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we pray. We pray, God, that you would keep us faithful, that you would keep us uh, latched to your word and to your truth, that you would keep us fastened to the cross of Jesus Christ, and that in everything we do, that's who we exalt, our Savior, our Lord. God, we thank you for Christ, and as we look to your word tonight in Exodus, help us to be reminded again of your kindness and your goodness to redeem your people and do whatever it takes to bring that about. All of this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus chapter 6, if we just give a quick review, remember Moses has been sent to Pharaoh, to Egypt, to demand the release of God's people, Israel, from the bondage that Pharaoh has them in and the oppression that has come. And so Moses heads back. God has been gracious to Moses, not only calling him, but equipping him for the task, not only sending him back, but giving him everything he needs to go back and to, to bring the people, including, including Moses' big hang-up was the fact that he was not eloquent in speech. He had faltery or faulting lips, if you will, faltering lips. And so he, he was saying all of these things and I need that. So he has given Moses, his brother Aaron, to be a partner with him. And, and even as we'll see in our passage, uh, Moses, as chapter 7, verse 1 says, the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like a God, like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. So in that sense, what God is saying is, I'm giving you your mouthpiece. You don't have to speak. I'll speak to you. You speak through Aaron to the people and to Pharaoh. And so God has answered him and equipped him in everything he needs for the task that he has called him to, to send him to Pharaoh. So when Moses goes back, we have the first kind of encounter or first episode that takes place in chapter 5. Pharaoh is told as Moses goes to let my people go and Pharaoh and, and, and really Moses is just testing the water because he's not calling for the absolute release of his people. He is calling for just as it says here, let us go into the wilderness to hold a, a feast to the Lord. And so he's got a simple calling. Let us go for a few days into the wilderness. And Pharaoh responds with his hardened heart toward God. And he says, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And so Pharaoh in his arrogance says, I do not know this Lord you're talking about. In other words, Pharaoh is responding with the statement, I do not know is the idea that I do not answer to him. 
I do not answer to your God. I do not know him. I don't have to respond to him. He is not someone that's on my agenda. So Pharaoh is basically placing himself, as we know, he considered himself a God already. And so he's placing himself as equals as is to say, I don't answer to your God. Pharaoh had heard of the God of Israel before. He had the Israelites with him. He knew of this one. His response is, I don't have to obey him. So Pharaoh's hardened heart is on display by his actions, right? And so that's what we see. We know people by their fruit. Um, we, we, we can't lose sight of that. Oftentimes we lose sight of that. We are who we see that they, they are who we see that they are basically is what the scripture teaches us. That's, that's who they are. This is what they do. And so Pharaoh's actions display that he has no love for the Lord and no desire to follow him or put himself under the Lord's authority. So Pharaoh acts in this, uh, in this arrogant way towards the Lord. But that introduces a theme for us that runs throughout. This idea running throughout Exodus is the Lord is going to make himself known. He's going to make himself known, and he's going to make himself known differently than ever before. In Genesis, he makes himself known to Abraham by coming to him in, in visions, right? He makes himself known to Isaac by coming to him in visions. He makes himself known to Jacob by coming to him in visions. And if you remember, that's the end, those three, of that patriarchal period. He doesn't appear necessarily just like that again. That's why they always say this is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It comes, this is the one who made promises to them. And even when he comes to Moses, what he's doing here in the burning bush to Moses is he's talking about fulfilling the promises that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The promises are made and secured there, and now he's going to fulfill them. God is making himself known. And the question is, how do you respond to that God who makes himself known? How do you respond to him? And so we see Moses' response, and we compared those two really last week together against Pharaoh's response. Moses brings up some objections, but in the end, Moses recognizes that he's under this one's authority, and God is gracious and kind to Moses. Pharaoh acts in arrogance and pride, and because of his arrogance and pride, his heart, his heart is hardened toward God, and there will be repercussions for this. And so Pharaoh responds in chapter 5 in arrogance and pride, and he goes and he oppresses the Israelites all the more. You have to make all the same amount of bricks, and now you have to do it with no ingredients. you got to find those on your own. Remember, you couldn't make the bricks without the straw. The straw was what made them strong, and there was a supply chain that worked because straw didn't naturally grow where they were making bricks, so you had to bring the straw in, and Pharaoh's stopping that supply chain now you got to do all the same work. And he's abusive about it. He's oppressive about it. He beats them because he has taken away. God has supplied everything Abraham needs to carry out what, Ab what he's called Abraham to do. Pharaoh, acting as a God, has not supplied the needs of the people and what he's called them to do. He's not giving them what they need. He's calling them to do something they cannot do. And he's being oppressive about it. And in this way, you see the contrast again of the goodness of God and the gods of this world represented in Pharaoh who make demands of you and do not supply what you need to carry them out. 
But God always supplies our needs and Moses recognizes and knows this, but now Moses is in a dilemma because at first, at the end of chapter 4, the people were happy to listen to Moses. The people believed him. They heard. They were glad. They celebrated, and they bowed their heads, and they worshiped God. But now Pharaoh comes in oppression, and the people are now upset. So in chapter 6, the Lord visits Moses again. Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of the land. In other words, God, as I said last week, I believe, if I didn't, I'll say it again so you hear it. God is going to turn Pharaoh, his enemy, into his footstool. This is what we see and what is said in the book of Romans where the Lord takes the enemies of Christ and turn them into a footstool. In other words, it's not as if the enemies are opposing him anymore. Now his enemies will be serving him. And so I'm going to do something to Pharaoh so that Pharaoh himself will drive them out. I'm going to show my power that I'm going to turn it where my enemies are not opposing me, but now serving me. And so the Lord says this to Moses, and Moses has a question, and maybe rightfully so. God spoke to Moses, and he said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Reminding, that's a reminder, by the way, of the promises that were made there. I'm the one who made those promises. I'm that person. I'm that God, as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel who the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Now, we go into this section, and the Lord's speaking to Moses. And when he speaks to Moses, he reminds Moses of who he is. I'm the one who made the promises. And how not only that, I'm the one who has revealed my very name to you, Moses, He's saying, Moses, I have equipped you, I've promised you, I've given you everything you need, and now let me tell you what I'm about to do. And in this section then, we're going to have these, I think it's seven I will statements. I will, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you. With outstretched arm, with great acts of judgment, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. I will bring you into the land. I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. So the Lord says, it's time for me to act. Now, let's be clear again. The main character of Scripture is who? God himself. The main character is not Abraham, it's not Adam, it's not Noah. These are all characters in the plan of God. These are all people in the plan of God. But the main character in Scripture is God. This book, this Bible is a story about God, who God is and what he's come to do. And that's why I've said this is not about us getting back to him. How can we get to him Consider ourselves like these slaves in Egypt without any power, without anything we need. We cannot free ourselves. We cannot come to this this place. If we were to try, we would only be more oppressed, more burdened, more stress would come to us than ever before. We are in a position like these Israelites in Egypt that is hopeless and helpless under the burden and stress of sin, right? We're in that. We have no power to get out 
unless somebody acts on our behalf. Somebody with enough power to redeem us. Somebody with enough power to save us. Somebody with enough strength to overcome our enemies. We have to have someone act for us, just like the Israelites did. And this is the relief they get. God says, I'm going to do it. I will bring you out. I will redeem you. I will give you the land. He gives all of these I wills over and over again. And notice there in verse 7, the only thing he tells us that we shall do. He says in verse 7, I'll take you to be my people. I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In other words, he says this, this is about knowing God, right? Pharaoh said, I don't know him. God says, you will know me to his people. And that knowing, again, is not just some, some knowledge of him. It's not some intellectual assent of who he is. Knowing God is a believing in who he is and what he's done and trusting him with all that you have. All of us are going to know God. In fact, the scriptures tell us that every single knee will bow, right? Every tongue will confess, but that doesn't mean that everybody's going to heaven. What that means is, is everybody will know who he is, but it's how you acted and behaved in light of him, in light of him, that's going to determine where your destination lies. And the Lord is saying that here. I'm going to save you. I'm going to redeem you. The only thing you need to do is know me. Know me, follow me, be obedient to me. All of that means that same thing. And so he says, I am the Lord. Remember, I am the I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. I'm the one that no one can go against. What I say will be done, and it will be done always. So Moses speaks thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the first time at the end of chapter four, they're happy. We're worshiping. Now, after the bricks without straw incident, even through God coming to Moses and saying, I am the one. Now Moses says, he goes to his people and they did not listen this time. So the Lord said to Moses, go in. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, this would be the second encounter, right? But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. Here, I believe Moses has a pretty legit response. I mean, ultimately, it's the same response he had before. I mean, why would they listen to me? But this time, this time, Moses has some evidence on his side. This happened before, and I went in and told Pharaoh, and Pharaoh told me, I don't know him, and it made it worse for your people. So how is it if Pharaoh, if your people won't even listen to me, it just said that because of what happened, how is it that Pharaoh's going to listen to me again? 
Now, God could have acted in, 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 in any way he wants to, and we, we've seen before how, how God was gracious and kind, but he started to get a little frustrated with Moses because, remember, you're teetering whenever you doubt God and what he says to you. You're teetering on unbelief, right? Sometimes it can be legitimate questions, but then all of a sudden, how do you cross that line to where I don't really believe you when you say what you say? And so God speaks out before in chapter 4, but now he comes up and he asks the same question, and we see God is gracious again. Now he says, for I'm of uncircumcised lips. This is the traditional translation of this going back to the King James carried over in other places. You'll see other translations that just simply say uh, unqualified or faltering lips or quivering lips. This is the same thing as Moses saying, I'm not a good speaker. I'm not eloquent. I can't do this. I can't go and convince them. I can't rile them up. I can't give them a pep talk. I can't get the team excited at halftime after they're getting beat, right? I can't do that. That's not in, I'm not equipped for this. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Now, telling this story, I love how Moses writing this puts us on hold here. God spoke to Moses and Aaron and he gave them a charge. That sounds like I, that was a pretty good speech, right? And now he doesn't tell us what he said. We're going to wait and see that over here in chapter 7. He's going to take an aside and this aside is important because the more this goes, the more importance you see on Moses and on Aaron. And so the author here, Moses, stops and he's going to give us the genealogy of Moses and Aaron. Up until this point, we haven't seen this. We haven't really known the mother and, and, and father. In fact, if you read down through this, it starts, these are the heads of the father's houses, the son of Reuben, firstborn of Israel. You see all of these names that come up that I'm not even going to, I can do this real fast. I mean, but this is, you know, in your quiet time, you don't usually practice the names. You know what I'm saying? And so you go through this and you list it out. You have all this. You have Reuben. Then you go down and you have Simeon. You keep going after Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi in verse 16. And when you have the sons of Levi in verse 16, you're going to go down to where you get the ages of them. And so you see he goes the Levi, 137, sons of Gershon, Libni, Shimi, by the clans, the sons of Kohath, Amron, Izhar, Hebron, Uziel, the years of the life of Kohath being 133 years, the sons of Merari, Mahalil, and Mushi. These, I'm, uh, that's just my way of pronouncing, okay? Y'all okay with that? These are the clans of the Levites according to the generations. Amram took as his wife, Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. The years of the life of Amram being 137. If you consider this then, and the reason that helps us in some ways, if you put even these years together, you have 400 years since, uh, since Levi passed and his generations come down to Moses, which places Moses here, 400 years later, in the midst. This connects Moses and Aaron to Levi. And Levi is the priestly line that will come of the people of Israel. But who is it that takes center stage? Isn't it interesting that in this place, it is Moses, I mean, it is Aaron that is mentioned first. It's Aaron that is connected first. So you have Aaron and Moses. The years come by, and then it goes down in verse 29, I believe, or 26. 
These are the these are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, "Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt, their hosts." And so all of this goes to prove the lineage of Aaron and Moses, to place them under Levi. Now, this is going to become important with Aaron later, right? Why is this important with Aaron? Aaron will become the first high priest of the people of God. The high priest has to come from the family of Levi. Aaron will be the one that oversees the temple and the sacrifices. He'll be the first high priest that's in that order. This is proving his connection. And so what happens during those years that they're in uh, servitude in Egypt is sometimes you might can lose that generations of kind of idea. We have a difficult time with this. I remember my grandmother passing away and just a couple years ago, she was almost 101. She was like two weeks from being 101. And when I went to her house, we had our family tree. She had a family tree that was rolled up in her drawer. And I was looking through it, just fascinated by the names. Because we in America, don't, we don't get much past like first cousins. You know what I'm saying? When you get to second cousins, then you're like, we don't even know if that's real. And, and, and you get into the twice removed stuff. And that's, that's just made up. You know what I'm saying? Like, we don't know. And so you get it, we don't go deep into this, but the Israelites did. And in fact, other cultures in the world who have familial connections that are intense, they can tell you on down the line who the cousins are and who the family is because we have this kind of individualistic kind of thing. Our family, we don't like anybody else because we're the only normal ones. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And so we have this kind of thing, whereas other cultures tie themselves to their ancestors in a way that's that's deeper. For the Israelites, this is important because for the Israelites, tying yourself to the ancestors proved you were one of the chosen people of God. And so you connected yourselves back. We all do this. Some of y'all are from Greenville or Taylor's. Y'all know how it is. The more people move in, the more you're like, well, I'm old Greenville people. Y'all know what I'm talking about, don't you? I'm from Lexington, South Carolina. And Lexington has experienced rapid growth like Greenville. And so when we go into a place in Lexington, if you see somebody that you went to high school with 30 years ago, you, you know, you kind of like give them the look and you know, because we're old Lexington. These new people in here are wasting our time. I don't know why. They're messing up our roads. They're, they're, not ta they're, they're taking up space in our restaurants. Y'all know what I'm talking about. With old Lexington, we're old Lexington. I look back, my grandmother. We moved to Lexington. I like it. I was so proud because we had this thing. Her family moved to Lexington, South Carolina, in 1770. That's before we were even a country. I lived there. You know what I'm saying? I was so proud of myself. So proud, proving my roots, proving my credentials as old Lexington. Some of y'all the same way about Greenville. I hear you talking. All these new people can't even get across Wade Hampton, you know. We think that way sometimes, and that's exactly in some ways, even more so what's happening here. We're proving the credentials of Moses and Aaron because they are connected all the way back to Jacob, who's connected to Isaac, who's connected to Abraham. These are the ones, right? So Aaron is this. So this is proving that connection that is here. It's proving what's coming, proving their credentials even before the people that come. And so it makes this little pause. And then he says, these are the Aaron, 
Aaron and Moses, to whom the Lord said, bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. Now, on the day the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, I'm of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? We're going back to that section there, verse 10 through 13, really, and kind of rehashing again after taking this pause to prove the credentials of Moses and Aaron to stand as God's people and lead them out. Now we're going back to the scene, and we're going to talk about what God says again. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. In other words, of course, God is not making Moses divine in any way. He's saying, you are my representative. You are speaking on my behalf. Pharaoh, who considered himself a God, Pharaoh, who considered himself a God, would not listen to mere mortal man, if you will. And so he is saying, you, you Moses, are going with my authority into the presence of Pharaoh. You're going on my stead, on my, I've made you like an Elohim, not a Yahweh God, a God to Pharaoh. I made you like an Elohim, a God to Pharaoh. You're going in on my credentials, my authority. That's where you're going. God, in this sense, as he's sending Moses is, goes here with, with God, Moses goes in with God's authority, with God's authority as he heads into this chamber of Pharaoh. And in this, then, he's going to give Moses confidence. He says, you were like, made you like a God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of the land. He's given him a confidence for which he was going to go with him. He's going to intercede. He's going to be there and give his intentions of what he's going to do. So not only is he saying, you're going with my authority, he's given him confidence as to the intentions by which he's going to bring this about. He's just reiterating what he said. Pharaoh's going to drive himself out. I'm going to command him. He's going to make it happen. But not only that, he says that God here, it says, but I, verse 3, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Again, this is to come to Moses as confidence. Here's what's going to happen. Pharaoh's heart will be hardened. And how is God going to harden Pharaoh's heart? We'll talk more about this later because it keeps coming up. And, and you don't, I'm not going to talk about it every single time in depth, but he hardens his heart by continuing to show himself who he is. And what is, what is Pharaoh's response? I'm not letting my peop these people go. God continues to show himself who he is, and Pharaoh continues to stiffen himself up against God. God said, I'm going to show more, and he's going to stiffen himself against me. He's going to, he's going to stiffen himself even more against me. Hard, heavy, strong, resolute, stubbornness. Remember, that's how that, that word harden kind of comes out. We have that hardened heart, but it's this carrying this sense to which he is heavy or hard against. And then he becomes more resolute, and finally he becomes stubborn and just says no. God is going to show himself, make himself known to Pharaoh through Moses and through Aaron, and Pharaoh is going to turn against him. This is to bring confidence to his people. 
Let's bring confidence to Moses. Here's what's going to happen. Then he continues, and he said, I've hardened his heart. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and will bring my hosts and my, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. By great acts of judgment. God says, here's what's going to happen, Moses. I'm going to give you my authority. You're going to go in there and tell them what I say. And when you do, he is going to respond in anger and against you. And I am going to display my power through mighty acts of judgment. God says, that's what I'm going to do. He's, 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 he's teaching Moses. He's encouraging Moses. And he's equipping Moses all at the same time. He's bringing it down. and He's saying, that's exactly what I'm going to do by my hand. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. They will know me. When this comes, when those mighty acts of judgment comes, they will know me. When I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them, Moses and Aaron did so, as it says, they did just as the Lord commanded. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Here are these two octogenarians. It's a big word for you guys, but that means they're old. They're in their 80s. That's his whole point. The only reason to bring this up is to say, look, these, these are men who have come. They're in their 80s. They're coming. They don't have the confidence they need. Moses is saying, I've been a shepherd for the last 40 years. I stutter. I, my, my lips are faulting. I, Aaron comes along, and he's old too, and we're looking at it. And they're walking into the presence of Pharaoh, the young Ramses, who is a god and has all the power of Egypt at his command. They're walking into him and saying, hey, let my people go. And God says, don't you worry. I will act on your behalf. Don't you worry about what you do there. I'm going to act for you. Remember those seven I wills. I will show myself. I will redeem my people. I will bring them out of slavery. I will demonstrate my power. God just is going to do all of those things on behalf of his people. And he gives Moses and he gives Aaron that confidence, that knowledge that they have that God is going to exert himself on their behalf. This is all about God redeeming his people and how he will bring it about. Ultimately, we can't miss verse 6. In all of Moses' line of questioning to God, all of his worries about what's happening, all of his concerns about all this, what's the bottom line? When God called Moses to do something, what did Moses do? He did it. The bottom line comes down to obedience. God is not so much concerned with us in our questions sometimes. And I don't mean that to say he's flipping about it. I mean, it's okay. In fact, read the Psalms. When you read the Psalms, there's those questions crop up. Whenever difficulties happen to David, what does he say? How long, O Lord? Why do you let this happen to me? Why are we, why are we in this position? Why is this going on? And you get it to where you're looking at it, and it's almost like he's questioning God. But God is not somebody we have to defend in his actions. 
It's like they, they say sometimes, it's not as if you can, you know, if you, you take a, it's like taking a lion out to a beach, right? And everybody's laying around and sunbathing and you got this real hungry lion and you cut them loose out here on the beach where everybody's sunbathing. Nobody steps up and go, hey, y'all don't hurt the lion, right? Y'all don't hurt him. That's the same way God is. When God is acting, we don't have to defend his actions. We don't have to protect him from our questions. We don't have to protect him from others. He can take all of that, bring it on. But what's reality is and what's true is the psalmists demonstrate how this works for us. Even though they question, how do they end? Though my flesh and my heart may fail, you alone are my joy forever, right? They end, they got the questions, but at the end of the day, who else in heaven do we have but you, O oh Lord? At the end of the day for Moses, he's in this spot and he's questioned God, is it really me? You want me to do this? Am I capable? I don't have the ability. I don't have this. And at the end of the day, when God says go, what does Moses say? Yes, sir. That I may not think I'm good enough. I may not think I'm equipped. I may not think I can do it, but I have a command from God to go and I trust him. And at the end of the day, though my flesh and my heart may fail, he is my portion forever. He's my joy. And so we trust God in the going, right? Because he's going to do exactly what he says. And don't, we don't have to act as if God's just simply saying, because faith that God gives us is never blind faith. He tells us, here's who I am. You can know me. I'm the one who made promises and I'm keeping those promises. I'm the one who revealed my name to you and I'm gonna live up to my name in every way. I'm the one who's going to equip you and give you everything you need to do it. I'm the one who's done all of that. This isn't blind faith he's come to. Moses has every reason now, though seemingly in his own mind and maybe his own eyes, he shouldn't trust him or he doesn't feel equipped. He's got every reason to believe God. He's got every reason to believe him. And so God here says, go, and Moses and Aaron go. And I love it because they just went in and told him, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, I don't know you, I don't know him, get out, and I'm going to make everybody mad. I'm going to go beat everybody up. Now they're going in again. Two octogenarians heading into Pharaoh and said, hey, let my people go. Let my people go. God said it's time to act. In fact, he continues, he says, Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourselves by the working of a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff, cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. That statement there is important. So we see before, they did there as the Lord commanded them. They did just as the Lord commanded them, down to the very call. Now, we'll talk about the staff turning into snakes next week as we look to the plagues. Plagues, I gotta say it right. I gotta. But what I want us to think about tonight as we close, close with this, as we as believers, right, we've also been given a task. We've also been given a task. The Lord has told us what we should do and he has backed it up because of what he has done, right? In every way, the Lord has redeemed us. The I wills of the scripture have been fulfilled, in other words. 
God has done what he said he was going to do. We are saved tonight. If you're a child of God tonight, you have been saved from your sins because you believe in the promises of God. You believe in those promises. And those promises are not forthcoming as they were for Moses in the Old Testament. Those promises have been fulfilled for us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So as Paul says, all of the promises of God are yes and amen in him. He has proved himself again and again and again, yet we still come with questions when it comes to the task that comes. Is it really something I should do, Lord? Yes, you called me to be this, but is that something I need to be? You've called me to go there, but Lord, really, do I need to go and do that? Do I need to put my, myself out there in that way? You've called me to be a witness to others. Really, Lord, sh do you need me to do that? Because I'm not very good at it, right? I'm not very good at those things. I stumble over my words. I don't have the right thing to say, Lord. I'm not really, I'm just not the right one. I tell you what I'll do. I'm just simply going to pray for everybody else who does it. And we think that's sufficient. And by all means, pray for those around you and your friends to share the gospel. But that does not excuse any of us from doing what God has called us to do as well. In obedience. But let me remind you of what God said. In fact, God's son, Jesus, having been resurrected from the grave, fulfilling the promises that have been made, right? Having died for our sins, the one greater than Moses, the I wills of scripture were all fulfilled through the cross and the resurrection. The one who would redeem us and save us. This Jesus who died for our sins, securing our freedom from the bondage of slavery of sin. He died for our sins and rose again. This one stood before his people. His people. And he said, all authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. Now you go in my name. And in the same way, as God said to Moses, I've made you as a God to Pharaoh. In the same way, God is saying to us, I have given you all of my authority. Go and make disciples of all nations. I've given you everything you, not only has he equipped us with what we need, and you know what we need to be a witness for Christ? All we need is to know him and follow him. My favorite story in all of scripture is John chapter nine. I don't know if y'all ever heard that, but I say a lot of my stories are my favorite, but this one really is like one of my favorite. And it's John chapter nine. And here you got a blind man who's been blind from birth and he's standing outside the temple and Jesus comes up and heals him. And now he can see, right? And he is celebrating because wouldn't you? He's thanking God because he once was blind and now he can see. He's praising God. He's walking around. He's telling everybody, look, it's me. Y'all used to see me out there. This guy, I was in one play in my life. Don't laugh about that. It was the first time I wore a robe in public. I was in one play in my life and I played the blind man from John chapter 9. And I remember the guy, it was some church play, it was D-rated Christian entertainment is what it was, but it's fine. And I remember I'm acting it out and I didn't know what I was doing, but the guy who was leading it said, Josh, could you imagine 
that you have been blind from birth, right? And now all of a sudden, just like that, you can see. How excited would you be? I like to think of it. Y'all ever get those videos? I tear up at stuff all the time. I just want to be honest. Y'all seen those videos where those kids and the children get those implants in their ears? Y'all ever seen those? Man, I get to watching those and I am crying like a baby. Because they get the implants in their ears, they ain't never been able to hear. And then all of a sudden, like they're sitting there and they hear their mom or their dad's voice for the first time. Y'all ever seen that? And they just kind of go, what? And I, oh, it just tears me up. Could you imagine the excitement to not be able to see your whole life and then the Lord comes and you can see? That should be the same excitement you have whenever you find out that all you have to do is confess your sins, repent of them, and believe in the Lord, and your sins are forgiven. In fact, Jesus says that's greater than even sight. That's the excitement we have. The blind man's walking around excited. Look at what happened. And of course, you got the enemies. Oh, what in the world? Did he heal you on a Sabbath day? Did he ask permission? When was it that he healed you? Does he not know that the law says this, that, and the other? And you can imagine that blind man who now can see you sitting there going, what y'all talking about? I once was blind, but now I see right? But, but, but wait a minute. That wasn't the way it was supposed to go down. You not know how our law states it. Isn't this the wrong thing? Well, we did. I once was blind. I don't know about your laws. I don't know about your rules and your regulations. What I know is I woke up this morning not being able to see, completely dependent on everybody else to get me where I should be. And I stood out there begging like I'd always beg. But today, something incredible happened. A man came to me and saved me by making me see again, right? That, my friends, is a testimony. And for any of us who have had our sins forgiven, we have the same exact testimony. I don't know about all these rules in the world. I don't know about eloquence. I don't know about how a fancy way to say this. What I do know is I have met somebody, Jesus Christ, who died for me. What I do know is that he died on my behalf to save me from my sins. And what I also know is just like I met him, you can know him too. That's what I know. That my friends, is a testimony. And what God says is he has equipped every one of you to give that testimony. Every single one of you. You can make all the excuses you can make. I'm not good enough with my words. I'm not me. I'm not, nobody will listen to me. God broke down all those excuses by his grace to Moses and says, go in my name. And Jesus has done the exact same thing with his people. He's broken down all those excuses. All authority in heaven on old earth is given to me. Now you go in my name. You're going to meet people who are going to fight you. You're going to meet people who disapprove. You're going to meet people. You're going to meet people who, who may mock you. You may even meet people who hurt you. God has not lied to us about how difficult the task will be. He has not kept that from us. You're going to meet them. You're going to meet every one of them. But I will... Save my people from their sins, he says. And when you go in my name, 
I'll call my people out. So go in my authority. Just as Moses was sent into Pharaoh to call the people of God out, we have been sent into the world to call God's people out of the bondage of sin and slavery and shame. Call God's people out to the true freedom that they can know of a life lived under the Lord God Almighty and his love and grace for them. Because this world is a terrible master. It will beat you down and it will oppress you. And the moment you think you can get out from under its thumb, it only squeezes that thumb more and more. But the Lord God is good. And he equips his people for all good things. And he blesses them in every way. And he's got something greater than we could ever possibly imagine waiting for us. So tell somebody about that. And everyone who has been saved by Jesus has been equipped to bear testimony of what he has done for them and what he can do for others. That's the call for us. I don't want us to lose sight here because the scriptures point us to Jesus in every place, in every verse, in everything. And so this story of Moses points us, points us to Christ, the one who's greater than Moses, who has equipped us for the task of calling out his people calling out his people. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. It is good. Thank you for the truth that we have in Christ Jesus, who has equipped all of us who have believed in him. So God, make us faithful to share that word, to bear that testimony. All by your glory and for your name we pray. Amen.